Welcome to It's a Good Life, the podcast for entrepreneurs, where it's all about growing yourself and your business. Here's your host, founder of America's largest business coaching company, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life. We have a great show lined up for you today. An interview with one of my favorite people, his name is Hugh McCutcheon, and Hugh's uh, life has been one of leadership, especially in the sport of volleyball. As a player, he represented his native New Zealand. He came to the States to play BYU, then became a coach at BYU, part of that staff that turned around a team that had a 2-27 and record to a team that went on within a few years to win a couple of national championships. For 11 seasons, Hugh coached at the University of Minnesota, the women's team there, and he took them to three Final Four appearances. They won 80% of their matches. You don't need to know much about sports or volleyball to know that's pretty good. And as an Olympic coach, he achieved something only three coaches in the world have ever done, which is he won medals with both the men's team and the women's team. The men win an Olympic gold in 2008 and the women taken silver in 2012. So a breadth of fabulous leadership experiences with everybody. Hugh finally wrote down all his secrets in his book, Championship Behaviors, a Model for Competitive Excellence in Sports. And uh, he, today he's a consultant. He consults the University of Minnesota, also the International Volleyball Federation, as well as uh, appearing on shows like this. And I'm really excited to announce that Hugh will be joining us at our leadership conference in Austin, Texas on September 7th and 8th. So all of you coming to the leadership conference, you're in for a heck of a time. And uh, Hugh's going to be one of our featured speakers. Hugh, top of the morning to you. Thanks for joining the show today. Cheers, Brian. Pleasure to be here, mate. Great stuff. Well, we're going to dive right in here because you have so much to share and so much great experience. And again, we love people who've been there, done that. You've done it at every level. Uh, Before we kind of jump into the book, just tell us a bit about yourself or where you came from and how you got into the sport of volleyball. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, New Zealand's more known for rugby and, uh, you know, sailing and all that kind of stuff, Commonwealth sports, cricket. But volleyball was was, uh, something that I happened into really because of my basketball coach, believe it or not. I, I was a taller guy playing basketball and, and, and enjoyed it, but had a kind of a weird interaction with my, with my basketball coach and um, was like, man, if that's how he's going to be, I'm going to see what else is going on. And the volleyball guys seemed cool, and the coach was my physics teacher. He was all right, so away I went. And um, you know, one of the things you always want to think is uh, never be a kid's last coach, but my basketball coach helped me get into volleyball, so I guess I should thank him in the end. And uh, yeah, same thing happened yeah. to my son. <laughs> had, oh, is that right? You know, he had a less than stellar experience with his basketball coach, where he was probably a better suited athlete and got college scholarship offers. Went to volleyball and loved it. And now he's a volleyball coach himself. So there you go. Not on the Hugh McCutcheon level, but it's, <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. So volleyball was it was an instant thing for me. I you know I had my head, my heart had it all, and and um, I was able to to progress pretty quickly through the the ranks in New Zealand um, and then was afforded the opportunity to come to the U.S. to to study and to play at, at BYU, as you said. And, um, you know, the, part of the thing was I always felt like I was behind. You know, I mean, I had physical talents and abilities, but I started the game pretty late. So I was always trying to play catch up. And um, maybe that had something to do with choosing to get into into coaching. And certainly when when I came here to America, you know, I mean, it's the capital of capitalism, right? So I had this um, experience in New Zealand about collaboration and teams. New Zealand's, you know, 
down below Australia. We're on our own down there, so we're all in it together. But but you come to the states, it's a little bit different operating system. And I think you know having both those experiences has been pretty great. What was it about coaching that attracted you? Yeah, well, it's just the idea that you can. Uh, like I think coaches had a big influence on me and I really appreciated that idea of being able to help people realize their potential. I think that's something that as leaders in any realm, we have a responsibility to do. And, and um, I think that idea of not only helping people, but being able to approach it from a really scientifically rigorous perspective, because there, there is an art in the science to it. The art is the people piece, but the, there are scientific principles that can be governing a lot of our methods that, um, that were really intriguing too. So I kind of appealed on both levels. And you've achieved at the highest levels possible. I mean, I love the fact that you've you've just achieved at every level there is to, to achieve at. Mm. And based on your experience and what you've done and what you've accomplished, then you wrote the book. And we live in a world today where people are on The Apprentice on Tuesday and they write their memoir on Friday. And, <laughs> and they were famous for four days. And, you know, we have a world that's famous for being famous. And, you know, the number of people that I've, shared a stage with, to be honest with you, who are famous leadership speakers who, honest to God, have never led anybody. And I've seen this for decades. So when we started first interacting, I was so excited to bring your information to the marketplace because you've just been there, done that. And then in your book, Championship Behaviors, you know, you wrote just a wonderful book that talks about the science of it and then also the art of it. And one of the things that you really bring up is it's a framework for competitive excellence. And we are all in competition. And I would just love to know from your perspective, what does competing actually mean to you? Well, it's a good question because I think most of us are, um, are led to believe, I think, that it's kind of this all or nothing sum, you know, that it's uh, when it takes all, loser not only gets nothing, but is nothing. And, and I think that's a really limiting way to frame it. Um, you know, for example, for me, right, I, I happen to have coached in two Olympic finals uh, won one and lost one. So is that the the pinnacle of success and the pinnacle of failure that I've achieved? You know, I, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Winning the gold is great. Um, I, I'd recommend it to anyone. Uh, but the, the silver medal team was so good, Brian. I mean, they were undefeated that year in 2012, number one in the world. We, we played the number two team in the Olympic final. We lost in four sets. We'd beaten them the last six times we played them. We just couldn't beat them the seventh. So there's no way I'm going to say that that team in any way, shape, or form failed. We just didn't get the outcome that we wanted. But it turns out, you know, Brazil had a say in that. Right. And, uh, boy, they were a great team. And my mm. wife and I followed them around quite a bit. The other dynamic there is, I think, you know, me being Irish and you being a Kiwi, you know, we come from a different perspective. Because in America, it is, if you win, you are just everything. And if you lose, you suck. Yeah. And right. I just don't think either one of those things is true, to be honest with you. But yeah. it's a very American thing. No, I agree. And it's like, you watch the sports, and after the final's over, the Super Bowl, and, you know, some guy trips over the end zone and scores a touchdown in the last second. And everything they did all day was right. And the other team, everything they did was wrong. And I think you lose so much. And, and so... When you get down to the very essence of competing, what as a coach, what are you trying to do to help people compete at a higher level? Well, let's start with just framing that whole thing that you discussed right there. I mean, we all want to win, right? But we can't all win all the time. I mean, sometimes you lose. If you, if you live in the arena, you know, the, the losses happen. It's an occupational hazard. Um, and, and really, when you look at the root definition of the word compete, you know, if you look at the, the Latin derivative, it's... It's to strive with, uh, not to strive against, you know, and, and so that to me is a really critical 
part of uh, this this framework I describe in the book that that the opponent is someone that you're working with in this moment of competition. It's not something that you're that you're going against. Now that is that's a radical thought, though. That is not something that's you know we have a lot of people in the marketplace that are in business and there's very much competition and it's it's I win you lose, which to me by the way is very minimalistic thinking. It's scarcity mentality. So this whole dynamic when you're when you're saying. I'm competing. It's to strive, not against. It's I win, you lose. One up, one down. I have more, you have less. And it's interesting. Like so many people who are capitalists, that's a very socialistic mindset. Which is yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I don't. I think at first blush, perhaps, but I don't think the idea of excellence and winning, and this idea of striving with your opponent, are at all mutually exclusive. I think they're nested. Yeah, I think they're connected. So. As we take a look at it, you know, you look at the dynamic of of that. You know, I've I've in the book you were saying one of the things we have a tendency to do is we kind of dehumanize our opponent. I had a an interview with one of our faculty, Bill Hampton, and he talked about one of the key mistakes he sees as a business consultant is that people get into the mode where they're competing against somebody. They they dehumanize them also, and they they just become the villain to the point that you don't learn anything from them. And it's like, hang on, they do this better than us. They do this better than us. And that's, does that really encapsulate the whole striving with? Like, they're doing something better than we are. We can learn from our competition. No question that's a part of it. But the other part and the other reality is this, that our opponent, there's there's a, a social dynamic in competition that is often overlooked. And that's the reality that our opponent can draw from us performances that we can't create ourselves. So there's that dynamic that that um, that the opponent actually helps us to become better, that is often lost in this narrative of all of nothing. So you know we win or we lose, but but there's a chance to excel, and there's also this chance to learn, and that's that's really important because oftentimes um, you know winning can mask a lot of problems. So uh, and we know I'm, I'm sure you've experienced too. We all pay a lot more attention after a loss than we do after a win. So while we think about Sport is this all or nothing, and and we even tend to militarize our language around it. You know, you think we're uh, we're in the heat of battle and we're in the trenches and all this, thing. but it's sport. It's it's not life or death like war is. You know, we're we're talking about or even business. It's 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 this idea that we're hey we're in it to improve to become the best we can be in in our environment. Now, be that in sport or business, that's the key. And this this idea of uh, opponent or rivalry and and the improved performance. I mean, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. It's been scientifically proven. And there was a, a guy out of New York Stern University who who did a research over you know six years or some a, a thousand athletes. I think he was looking at runners. And whenever these runners would run with their rival in the race, they were going eight seconds per mile faster. Eight seconds. And you know that's that's a that's a huge deal. I think that's a big performance boost, and it makes sense. I don't know if you've anyone any one of the listeners has ever been for a run, or even if they're driving on the freeway and someone passes them. Of course, we pick up the pace. You know that's normal. Or, you know, or they're looking to merge. Well, you know, I'm sure you're going to get in front of me, mate. So that's a thing. So that social dynamic is real, and I think that's a really important part of it. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And when we don't compete, you know, when we when we like you said, we dehumanize, and when we get to this thing where we villainize the the opponent, well, we diminish them. Um, we we reinforce this idea that it's you know a one or a zero you get everything or you get nothing, um, but if we lose you know when you go down that path if you're the one that comes up short well then now all of a sudden you feel embarrassed or insufficient, um, and and it actually stops people from competing down the road because they don't want to feel those those feelings of foolishness or whatever it is, and so 
you know, while while they stop competing, they're not going to learn. They're not going to excel. Um, so, you know, while they may live a, a safe life, they're never going to live a full one out. Yeah. And I love this idea of what you're talking about with Stearns and that the runner study, you know, uh, back in July, I took my wife who, you know, Beverly, she played on the U S volleyball team and my twin daughters who are college volleyball players. And we went to Wimbledon and we saw a match, a fabulous match, uh, between a player named Svitolina and, uh, Iga Svantec and Svantec is the number one player in the world. And Svitolina, she's Ukrainian. She's been kind of carrying the torch with the war in Ukraine. She's had all this pressure on her. She had a baby six months ago. She has no longer any ranking in the world. And they're playing on center court. And it was this incredible match, just like insanely good match. And Svitolina ends up winning. And she's being interviewed afterwards. And she said, I didn't know I could play that well. I I didn't know that. And it was the comp, that's striving with. She was in the arena with the best player in the world, and it brought out of her more than she thought she was capable of. Like the runner, she ran faster. And so that whole dynamic of embracing competition and understanding competition, which then gets me to this next question I really want to ask you, because you use this phrase, competitive excellence, and we talk about competing. But competitive excellence, I think, is uh, it's the essence of your book. It's the essence of, seems to be, your philosophy of coaching. I think it's very transferable to the business world that I'm in. I'd love you to give your insight on what competitive excellence is. Well, the reality, of course, is that we don't control all the factors in the moment of competition. You know, our opponent has a say in this as well. And while we might be able to influence them or maybe even, you know, manage or or control uh, some of the factors around it, um, you know, we we don't get to choose how they're going to be in the contest. So, what becomes our responsibility in this is to take 100% accountability for all of the parts of the competitive equation that we can. Um, and if we can control the things we can control, then you know I think that gives us the best chance to control our performance, and, and then we're going to be good enough or we're not. You know, but I'm talking about things like, you know, let's start with hard work. I think lots of people talk about it, but I don't think everyone has the capacity for it. But it turns out that if you're going to be good, um, you got to put the hay in the barn. That's the reality. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. But we also want to work smart. We don't want to waste time and energy. So to me, that's connected to having an intention around what you're doing and making sure you're really focused on the work and making sure you're getting the most bang for your buck and that you're using best practice methods, you know, methods that are based with some kind of scientific rigor. And oftentimes, a lot of our methods get get nested in tradition, you know, and tradition's great. Uh, but it's never the right reason for doing anything unless it's the right reason. So, you know, I think it's okay to have some some rigor to the way that we go about doing the work. I think it's it's also about planning and preparation. Uh, you know, what do they say? It's uh, failure prepare is preparing to fail. I think that's uh, that's a true thing. There's power in the details. Um, and then we got to compete, right? We've got to be present. We got to be the best we can in the moment. And most people want to believe that we're going to rise to these big moments. You know, when we're competing, that we're somehow going to have these ethereal moments where we where we upgrade or upskill but but and sometimes that does happen to your point the Ukrainian tennis player but more often we tend to sink to our base level of mastery right that so we got to make sure that even our bad habits are really good habits so that when we're in the battle or whatever it is when we're in the fray when we're in the the moment of competition that somehow uh you know the things that come out are our, our strongest most reliable, um, you know, things that we've worked hard to to achieve. We also need to bring out the best in others, right? None of us do this alone. So part of being great at competitive excellence is 
just being able to bring out not just the best in yourself. You don't want to just be the best one on the team, but you've also got to be the best one for the team. So can you can you help those around you? Can you know the rising tide's gonna lift all the boats? And then lastly, you gotta improve and, and learn from these contests because we're gonna make mistakes, things are gonna go wrong at times. No one's ever been perfect. Um, and so to that end, can we can we learn and move on? And and if mistakes are made, can we forgive and learn? Forgive and forget. I, I'm not a fan of that, but forgive and learn. I think that's the way to go. I love it. And a great way to run a team. You you bring up all the time the scientific approach. Is that for you, is that studying the numbers? Is that doing the data? Mm. Is that really where that goes for you? Some of it's in the in the quantitative stuff, uh, no doubt. I mean, you want to track performance and see how you're doing. You need to know the metrics. But I also think there's um, a lot of science around the the psychology, the the uh, the neuro, neuroscience of improvement and and of behavioral change. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do when we think about learning and, and improving is that we've got to, you know, let's say we lose. Well, okay, that's, there's some pretty good feedback we got there. Now, what are we going to do with that? And uh, hopefully we can affect some change and, and be better the next time we get after it. Well, to land the plane on my Ukrainian tennis player, she said, you know, I didn't know I was capable of doing that. The beautiful thing is they interviewed the coach right afterwards. Mm. And what his response is much more like what your response is, which was, he said, we finally saw on the court what we've seen on the practice court. Oh, magnificent. Right? So she had been practicing like that. She had been preparing like that. She had been putting in the hard work, as you say. She'd been trying to, you know, compete to the best of her abilities. When push came to shove, when she was in the pressure cooker, when the heat was on, she didn't find a new level beyond what she'd practiced. She just finally found the level she'd been practicing to. Kind of surprised herself, but that was the coach's perspective. And I think that's what you're talking about with this competitive excellence. Absolutely. It's one thing to do it uh, in the safe space of the practice gym. It's a whole different thing to get out there and do it in the arena. Yeah, You bet. So we have 500,000 entrepreneurs listening into this, running a small business. They're trying to compete with themselves. They're trying to compete with their, the marketplace. They're trying to compete for customers. They're trying to compete against competition and with competition, striving with them, as you say. How could an entrepreneur apply competitive excellence from a volleyball coach into their life or business? Well, I think you start by really making sure you're very clear about a number of things. One, make sure you're clear about who you are and what you stand for. You know, Shakespeare had it right. So thine own self be true. And I think any kind of real leadership is, is nested in self-awareness, self-control, authenticity, you know, that, that leads to the opportunity to maybe at times lead and then maybe you get to be a leader down the road. But but you got to be true to you and really clear about what you stand for and what you're looking for. Then you need some clarity around what you're hoping to achieve. Um, and I say hope because, like we said, the opponent has something to do with that as well. And then once we've identified what we hope the outcome will be, well, now what are the behaviors, what are the skills, and what levels of execution do we need to give ourselves the best chance of achieving that. And, you know, the, the, the way to consider that, like I'll, I'll use a volleyball analogy, but, you know, Covey uses um, big rocks and little rocks and sand, right, as his time management principle. Um, I, I think it's also a really good way of expressing, trying to figure out what really matters relative to the, the real time crunch that we all face around where we should put our time and energy. So back in the day, you know, we were talking about the 2-27 and 27 team at BYU that I got to be a part of, and, and – um, you know, we, we worked a lot on, on blocking 
Um, and we were the number one blocking team in the nation that year. We were two and 27. So clearly blocking didn't correlate at all to outcome, but it turns out serving and passing and siding out matter a lot. So we started putting our time and energy into different things. And all of a sudden we had different outcomes. So I think for our listeners, you know, you've got to be really clear about what matters most, what is going to help you to achieve the goal. And that's where you want to put your time and energy. And if you've got those things under control, well, then maybe you can start worrying about your little rocks and your sand. Then you got to commit to the work. Obviously, we talked about working hard and working smart. Bring out the best of your team. You know, don't worry about being the best one on it. Be the best one for it. And then this idea of hey, mistakes are going to happen. Can we forgive and learn? Can we can we get that uh, piece of information and apply it next time we compete? Move on. I think a great analogy of this, and if we can indulge, we got a few minutes. I'd love you to tell the story of the 2008 team because, mm. especially in America, everybody loves the. It shows up at the Olympics. A lot of people, they show up for sports like track and field or volleyball. My daughter's a U.S. dressage rider. So every four years, people tune into that sport. And they don't know what goes on all year long, all year long, to even qualify to make it. And when they show up, then everybody gets on the bandwagon. They're excited. And you had a team that won a gold medal. But that team barely qualified for the Olympics. And I think it would be great to kind of communicate just a little bit of the story of that team because I think a lot of people can relate to that team in their in their business and life. Yeah, the the reality of any any kind of elite performance in any realm is that the margins get thinner and thinner. And uh, yeah, to to your point, you know, we in 2006 we'd gotten tenth at the World Championships. Um, you know, and and we were a good team, but we weren't we weren't great. And and we knew that the the spaces between where we were and where our our opponents were 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 significant. Uh, but to that end, we we had a very clear idea of what we wanted to achieve. We wanted to be Olympic champions. And, and Brian, when we when we put that out there, you know, to 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 your point, you know, the, a lot of the guys were like, "This is ridiculous." You know, we 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 don't even know if we're going to qualify, let alone win the thing. There was a lot of pushback, and and I understand that. I, I'll, I'll tell you two little stories around that. Well, you know, in in two thousand four, when we were getting ready to go to Athens, qualifying was against Cuba. We played Cuba in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, we won 15-13 in the fifth, uh, which is, you know, one one point away from going or one point away from four years down the drain. And that got us our ticket to Athens. And, and okay, so when we're sitting there in 2005 and we're talking about, well, what do we hope to achieve? Knowing how thin the margins are, no one was interested in saying, hey, let's win the whole thing. But, you know, you and I, uh, as you said, we, we're born in different countries. Maybe we have a little bit of a different view, but I just thought culturally, there's no one in America that's going around saying, "Hey, we're number four. You know, they're <laughs> they're saying, "Hey, we're number one." So how can we have like get to the semifinals? Be the goal. I mean, we we got to try to win the thing. And instantly, there was a level of accountability and a level of uh, investment. Um, that that was born into that team as a function of putting a mission together and a really clear goal around it. So, yeah, as we were getting into 2008, we qualified in January. Uh, we Again, we were in Puerto Rico. We, we beat Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico to go. Um, the gorilla's off your back. Now we start focusing on on building into the, um, the, the, the show, the Olympics itself. Uh, we had a, a landmark win. We won World, World League that year, an, an international competition that USA had never won before. We won that. Um, that was a big deal. Uh, we got a, one of those big million dollar checks. That was kind of a good day. And, uh, <laughs> and then we, off we go to, to Beijing and we're in it. And, 
I, I think so many of those experiences, you know, we all want to believe that it's, it's rainbows and ponies and it's magical and we're all just on this surreal ride to a gold. But, you know, this team had its ups and downs. And I don't think we really got to be high functioning until those last eight months of the quad from January, once we qualified through to August and it was over. But, um, yeah, we, we got into all kinds of ebb and flow throughout the tournament. We were in matches, our quarterfinal match. And our semifinal match with five setters, uh, we won 15-12 in the fifth versus uh, the the Serbs. We won 15-13 in the fifth versus the Russians. Um, but the whole time, and here's here's what I'm getting at, the whole time, the guys had clarity of what we were trying to achieve. They competed with composure because they were really clear about who they were and how we were going to play. We weren't trying to play like Russia. We weren't trying to play like Brazil. We were playing USA Volleyball. And we stuck to our plan. And it it just it, it worked out. But Man, when that team won it, um, yeah, surreal, surreal moment and uh, and a great one. I remember our family screaming at the television set at the top of our lungs, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and like I say, everybody looks at it and go, oh, there's the head coach of the gold medal team. There's the head coach <laughs> or the coach that turned 2-27 and 27 into national championships. Like I say, two years before, you were number 10. Yeah. And when you're saying we're going to try to win the gold medal, people are laughing. People don't believe. But yeah. from a leadership standpoint, you're banging the drum. And then you're going back to these fundamentals that you're laying out for us here today of competitive excellence to go and compete yep. and compete and compete. And next thing you know, you get to tell the story about having a gold medal around your neck and life is and, good. Yeah, well, and as you say, it's compete, but it's also to learn. Because there were plenty of mistakes we made along the way, but we learned from them, right? We just didn't get defined by those moments. We just, we learned and moved on. And that was the key. Yeah. Well, you've learned so much. And I, I would love you to kind of, share your final advice for people because a lot of people struggle with competition. A lot of people mm. feel like it's um, adversarial or it's confrontational. Some people love that. Yeah. Some people don't. So what advice would you have for someone who struggles in the competitive environment or feels like they haven't really stepped up to the competition or they've shied away from it? Well, I, I think that, that the world wants you to, to give away a lot of your todays for the, for the promise of a better tomorrow. You know, we're always on the ladder to something with the idea that it's going to be better down the road. But I'm not sure that, first of all, that, that tomorrow is guaranteed. We can all speak to that. I'm sure we all know people whose lives have ended too soon, or we're certainly not entitled to that tomorrow. You know, none of us are. So I think if I was talking to anyone that's struggling with competition, I think they would uh, start by maybe reframing the way they view it, you know, strive with versus strive against, or maybe they've just got to get comfortable being uncomfortable because the reality is that, you know, whether you like it or not, we're all competing. And, and what, what I believe is that we're, we're in this race against time. And the race is this, we don't know when we're going to take our last breath. And, and to me, that's the finish line. So I just think if you're going to have the best chance of that good tomorrow, um, start by having a good today, do the work, control the things you can, do your best to help those around you and learn and get better. And, uh, you know, maybe the last thought on all of this would be this, that, you know, perhaps the, the ultimate expression of competitive excellence is this idea that not only are we learning to strive with our opponent, but maybe we're going to learn to strive with ourselves, to compete with ourselves. And that idea that we're going to get a little bit better in our work and our relationships and our life um, through our own efforts and endeavors, I think there's some power to that. And maybe that gives you the best chance of living that good life and, you know, feeling like we ran the best race that we could. Well, that sounds good to me, especially uh, 
Because to me, that's what the good life is. You know, we're promised the pursuit of happiness. We're not promised happiness. My mentor, Agmandino, used to say, you know, failures live as if they had a thousand years to live. And so it's do it now. And, and I feel like the purest form of competition is competing with ourselves. And I really think that's part of where this competitive excellence comes from. I love this stuff. Um, I'm so excited for all the folks coming to Austin because we're not only going to do an interview like this, but they're going to get a chance to ask their questions. And you have phenomenal insight. You've coached men's team. You've coached women's teams. There's lots of dynamics there that you got to experience. You've seen the upsides, the downsides, the wins, the losses, and, and uh, a lot of wisdom. So this has been fabulous stuff here today. I have a few rapid-fire questions I fire off at everyone who comes on the show, and it just gives a little different insight. And, you know, we've never had a Kiwi volleyball coach on before, believe it or not. So <laughs> you're the first. Yeah. So uh, first things first, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? Ooh, best piece of advice. Uh, yeah, I'd go back to, um, ooh, there's two two parts. I'd say uh, to that own self be true. You know, we've got to live the authentic life. And uh, I also like the old, uh, this too shall pass. You know, no matter how crummy it gets, uh, we're not in it forever. Nice. They must have been talking about that in uh, the USA team a lot because that's my wife's quote all the time. So you guys must have been <laughs> beating that around all the time. Good old Shakespeare. Yeah. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Well, uh, I'd like, I always like the idea of dancing a little bit better. I'd like to go take dance lessons. How about that? There it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're you're how tall? Uh, about six, uh, six, six. Six, six. Yeah. Nice. So you'd cut a great figure yeah. out there. So love it. It's typically <laughs> music or so dance. That might be the first dance we've had. That's great. What one book has been most instrumental in your life? What what has really helped you? Whew. Well, there's a lot of good ones out there. You know, I was really impacted by uh, Fountainhead, uh, Ayn Rand mainly because of this idea of of blazing your own trail. I, I think that's so important in life that, you know, there's this there's this incredible pressure to to conform and to live this life of an expectation of others. And I think um the idea that you can do it the way you want to do it, um, you know, that that really resonated with me. That's great. If there was a movie you watch over and over again, or if it's you're flicking through the channels it's on, you stop, what would it be? Oh, you know, there's a, there's a there's a few that that I like. Um, it's a tough question. You know, when I when I'm feeling reflective and uh, you know a little nostalgic, Ferris will always do it for me. Ferris Bueller. I love the soundtrack. Love the the art. Love love that part of it. Uh, you know, you can't get past the the Shawshank Redemptions of the world or the. But I, you know, a movie I really like is uh, Oh yeah, Goodwill Hunting. I think that's uh, that's great. I, I do like these apples. Yeah, you do like these apples, and and. I know people who've coached with you. I know players who played for you. And, you know, you talk about the science, you talk about the art, but I think one of your arts is with the people, and uh, which would make sense why you would like Goodwill Hunting so much. I think you did a, you've always done a great job understanding the people you lead. And uh, I think that's, that's the art form in itself that uh, all of us as leaders need to get better at. Last but not least, uh, to Hugh McCutcheon, what does a good life mean to you? Well, like I said, um, get a little bit better every day. Get after it. Life's for living. And, um, you know, we said earlier, uh, you know, sport isn't life or death, but life is. So uh, I'd say get after it. That's great. Well, Hugh, this has been a blast. And I've learned a lot today. This has been a blessing. The book is called Championship Behaviors, a framework for competitive excellence. And uh, I think it applies not just to sport, but to life and to business and everything else. It's great. You have the science and you have the art down. 
And uh, it's really, you've done a terrific job. We really appreciate you being here today. And so excited to have you on stage live in Austin. We're going to have a great crowd down there. And uh, we're going to talk some leadership principles. And I know that's really near and dear to your heart. So thanks for joining us today, Hugh. It's been fantastic. Uh, Truly my pleasure, Brian. Thanks, mate. Well, Hugh, thanks so much. I loved every minute of it. Great insight, great advice for anyone in leadership, anyone trying to grow and anyone trying to compete at a higher level. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. I'm going to throw it over right now to our executive producer, the great Mr. David Lally, who's all about championship behaviors himself. So over to you, David. Too kind, Mr. Buffini. I appreciate the words. And thanks for joining us today, Hugh McCutcheon. That was such a great interview, and we do appreciate your time. If you'd like to see both men in person, head to itsagoodlife.com slash LC and book your seat at the Leadership Conference this September in Austin, Texas. You'll be joining elite leaders from all over North America, hearing from Brian and an amazing lineup of speakers, so we hope to see lots of you there. In the meantime, here's Therese Buffini to send us home. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 